Roger that. Inspired by the late President Kennedy, in only seven years, America has risen to the challenge of what he called the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Okay, let's go. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 185 and our movie this week is 1995's Apollo 13. Joining me, because he'd never seen it before, from the picture show, it's Austin Rude. Austin, how you doing? I'm good. I'm happy to be here uh, talking... Movies with someone who is not my dad. Uh, <laughs> love Switch my dad, up. but he is who I talk to on a mic most of the time. So I'm glad to have a new face to shoot some opinions with. There you go. Change it up a little bit every once in a while. It's good to to do that. Mix things up. So you you brought this movie to my attention that you had not seen it before. What type of what? What, if any, history or knowledge did you have of this movie prior to watching it for this show? Not a whole lot. Uh, I'm like a huge space nerd. Uh, I will talk about it for days if you let me. Uh, and so this is one of those like classic space movies I feel like that I've heard a lot about. Mm -hmm. But I just hadn't seen because it was before my time. Sure. Uh, and then one day I saw it on like the clearance bin at a store and I was like, why not get it? Uh, so I bought it and I had had it for about a month and just hadn't watched it. Cause sometimes I get in this mode where I'd rather watch things like rewatch things that I know already. Sure. Uh, and then you were like, what movie do you want to see that you haven't seen before? And I was like, Apollo 13. Cause it seems like it'll be a good movie. It's a, uh, it's and a very, I think it was, yeah, it's a really good choice. So so you liked the movie? I did like the movie. Excellent. Um, so this movie came out in 1995, and it was right right in the peak of Tom Hanks' powers, right? He, this was, he had done Philadelphia a couple of years earlier, won the Oscar for that. He did Forrest Gump and won, I think, won an Oscar for that one as well. Um he made this uh, in 1995. He was like, this was peak t kind of Tom Hanks drama um, roles because he had he had morphed and uh, changed from his 80s persona of mostly comedies, um, which I don't know how many of those you have seen, but things like Big and The Burbs and The Money Pit. And he was known for I, that. I much more know him for his dramas. I think that's kind of the reputation that's stuck with him. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't heard much about the the comedies. Yeah, I mean, he started off on a television show called Bosom Buddies um, and transitioned into movies. He made things like Volunteers uh, is a good one. Um, I thought was quite funny. Uh, Joe versus the Volcano is another one. He did a lot of these comedies. He was also known for um, romantic comedies like Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. But he had transitioned into and started doing these really these much heavier dramas. And it turns out, hey, he's not just a funny guy. He's really good. Um, and nowadays, he's mo I, I would say, yes, he's much more known 
it, it, some of it also depends on like sort of when when you uh, when you discovered Tom Hanks. Like for me, because I was old enough to have seen him in things like Dragnet uh, and The Burbs, like that's what I can remember. Um, yes, and uh, and you being a little bit younger, it makes sense that you would know him more for the dramas. Um, he plays uh, a astronaut by the name of Jim Lovell. Uh, who is a real astronaut. Um, everybody in this movie are, are real people, which I like the fact that they didn't have any of those like made up amalgamations of people. Um, Cause that can sometimes happen. If you have ever noticed is uh, on movies based on real events, oftentimes they'll kind of trim down and maybe take two or three real people and kind of make them into one character. Um, right. Trying to simplify all the yeah. roles and whatnot. Yep, exactly. Um, and they didn't do that here. Everybody that's in this movie is the who they who they were in this event. And how familiar with you, are you or were you with kind of the Apollo 13 mission in general? Not just the movie, but the the mission being a space nerd. Oh, I I knew the basic story. I knew that they you know, they were going to the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh something malfunctioned. They wouldn't have survived if they made it to the moon and they just had to turn back around. But I did not know that there were this many uh, kind of mechanics and things that continued to go wrong and that they had to calculate throughout the journey. That was new information to me. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's based on the Apollo 13 mission uh, and it's based on uh, Jim Lovell's book. He wrote a book about it and then they adapted that book um, into the screenplay for this. Most of it is uh, apparently very accurate. Uh, there's a few, you know, little things here and there to make it hot more Hollywood. I think there was there was one moment where one of the technical advisors was there's the, there's that moment where uh, so, so our three main astronauts on the mission are played by Tom Hanks, um, Bill Paxton, and Kevin uh, Bacon. And there's that moment where Bill Paxton and Kevin Bacon are kind of arguing a little bit back and forth. And like the technical advisor was like, oh, that that argument wouldn't have taken place. And Ron Howard, the director, said, yeah, I, I understand that. But we're trying to make a drama movie here and I can only pull so much drama out of like a sweaty forehead before I need something else. Um, which Right. I mean, astronauts are trained uh, to kind of go through situations like this and not mm-hmm. get emotional. But in a drama, you want to heighten the stakes. So yep, exactly. I think that makes complete sense. And so, like that, that made me chuckle quite a bit when I read that. Um, but yeah, uh, so let's let's talk a bit about our three main characters here. So Tom Hanks is Jim Lovell. Um, what do you think of him? I I think he did a good job with uh, portraying like silent angst. Like there's a lot of like uh, little moments of him realizing, uh, like in the beginning, there's a lot of politics about who's going to be able to actually go on Apollo 13. Yep. Uh, and he has to choose whether he's going to go with, uh, uh, stand with his current pilot and wait for Apollo 14, if that ever happens, or if he's going to continue with a new crew. Uh, there's that. And there's also, uh, you know, when they're not able to actually land on the moon mm-hmm. and everyone's like looking out the window and he, I've already seen it before right. because he just knows like you can see the heartbreak in mm-hmm. him. And I feel like that's portrayed really well. Uh, 
and like his commanding presence there, but I don't think he's the most interesting character here. It's uh, no, I mean, it's hard to say, right? Cause there's so many interesting characters in here, but I think one of the things you hit the nail on the head where it's, he has this silent, um, uh, heartbreak going on and like all these things that are happening to him. Like this is a man who had gone up in Apollo eight had circled the moon, but they didn't land. This was his, he, that's all he wanted. He wanted to, to walk on the moon and we open up the movie with him watching Neil Armstrong and Apollo 11 and them landing and walking on the moon. And that was his thing. He wanted to do it. So then the opportunity arises and he only has six months to prepare, but he's going to do it anyway. And for him to not get that, to not achieve that goal, and but get so close to it again, um, is heartbreaking. And I think Hanks, that's the thing that Hanks brings to it is this like rea- uh, realism, this uh, this this real feel to it, where you can just see that that failure washing over him. But then he has the realization of like, I just want to go home. Um, that scene where they're taking pictures and looking out the window. And he's like, gentlemen, what is your intention here? Like, we've got a bunch of stuff we got to do in order to make sure we get home. And that's that's the most important part right now. We're not landing. And I love that scene. Right. Um, but yeah, it, he, it makes a lot of sense knowing that this is adapted from uh, his autobiography because he really is like the point of view character here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and he experiences these emotions that they're all experiencing. But we really see it in him. Yes. Um, and I just think that Tom Hanks brings this humanity to roles that he does. He, he is America's dad in a lot of ways, uh, is the, the joke, but, uh, but it's kind of true. Like he's that, he's that every man that just, you can, you can relate to, um, in a situation like that. Uh, and I, and I did enjoy that also, by the way, the real Jim Lovell does have a cameo in this movie. Um, really, I I was, I was telling my dad like, oh, he should have been, uh, Maybe in the credits they show like real videos of him or something. I didn't know he was in this movie. Yeah. So right at the end, when they're on the um, aircraft carrier, the Iwo Jima, and the captain of the aircraft carrier is shaking his hand, and there's the voiceover from Tom Hanks where he says, "And as for me, blah 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 blah." When he says that, that captain, that's actually Jim Lovell. Who, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and Ron Howard. I, I, this was a cool bit of trivia. Ron Howard was like, so do you want to be the admiral on the, on the aircraft carrier? And Jim Lovell told him, look, I retired a captain. I'm going to stay a captain. So I'll be a cat. I will dress as a captain. And I thought that was cool, but I thought it was great. They put That's him in. Wonderful. There. Uh, I actually looked it up because I was like, would he have been alive when this movie was made to, uh, to cameo in it or to do anything in it? Mm-hmm. And, Found out he's still alive to this day, which that shocked me completely. I mean, it shouldn't because Buzz Aldrin uh, is still yeah alive I mean, to this day. So you figure he was in probably his middle thirties at the time, which would have been roughly fifty years ago or so, little over fifty years ago. So I mean, he'd be he's you know he's up there, but yeah, he's still kicking. Um, and I just, I just love that they had him have the cameo and he really enjoyed Tom Hanks performance, um, in the movie. Um, Jim Lovell's wife said that Hanks really got down a lot of his like mannerisms and kind of patterns of speech. So Mm -hmm. he seemed to do a really good job with, uh, you know, portraying this actual person, um, which 
this was the first time Tom Hanks played like a, a real person, not just uh, somebody based off of like an amalgamation of a couple of people or somebody, a completely fictional character. He was playing a real human being and he just, he's, and, he's and really after good. this, he did a, a lot of biopics. Uh, he's saving Mr. Banks and mm-hmm. solely. Uh, and I, I, I can see he's got a knack for it, for kind of getting these people down. Yeah. Yep. He, he really, he studies uh, the people a lot. Mr. Rogers playing Fred Rogers. Um, oh yeah. And he does such a great job with all of that. Uh, he's he's very skilled at his craft, and he really puts a lot of effort into it. And it shows, because he doesn't just play Tom Hanks in every movie. Even though he has that kind of box office draw to be the type of movie star that can do that, he doesn't. He he brings something to it all the time, while still being Tom Hanks all the time. It's really it's interesting the way he pulls that off, and I, I quite enjoy it. I, I love Tom Hanks movies. Oh, you can tell he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so you said you didn't think that he was the most interesting character in the movie. I'm curious who you thought was the most interesting character. Uh, well, I, I'm kind of tied there, but I really wanted to highlight uh, Bill Paxton as Fred Hayes. Yep. Because I think his storyline uh, is so tragic as, as the pilot that was left behind for the possibility of getting sick when he didn't even get sick. Oh, that, that like, was that was Gary Sinise. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I mixed up my cast list here. Nope, that's okay. Yeah, Bill Bill Paxton was one of the three that did go up. For, uh, Fred Fred Hayes. Gary yeah, Sinise he, was Ken Mattingly. He was the newbie, right? The newbie was um, Swigert. That was Kevin Bacon. Oh, okay. Yeah, the the crew gotcha. was Jim Lovell, Fred Hayes, and Ken Mattingly. Ken Mattingly was their pilot, and that was Gary Sinise. And they got exposed to measles. He hadn't had measles before, so they were f- afraid that he would would show symptoms and have problems. And so they scrubbed him. They wouldn't let him go. Um, and he was replaced at the last minute and extremely last minute. Two days before launch, they sw- They had to swap out for Jack Swigert. Which is crazy. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't cancel at that point because that's just so close to cutting it. I know. Uh, That's that's one of the amazing things about this is like today they would have scrubbed the mission and pushed it back or whatever. Um, But uh, no, they they went with it. So, Um, but okay, let's let's talk a little bit about Bill Paxton as uh, as Fredo uh, Fredo Hayes. Um, I liked. I mean, I like Bill Paxton. He's He's a lot of fun, but he got to be Bill Paxson in this quite a bit. Like, you know, kind of that, that little bit of comedy, uh, comic relief, right? He's he's playing a little loosey-goosey. But they did a great job of mixing that with him getting sick over time during the mission, too. Which is ironic, right? That the, the, the guy they boot off for potentially getting measles, and then Fred ends up going, and he gets, uh, I think... The real Fred Hayes ended up with like a urinary tract infection was what he was suffering from. That's why he was he was dealing with the cold a lot worse and he was all that kind of stuff. Right. I, I didn't fully understand what uh, what illness he had because they never fully explained. But yeah, they uh, don't. It is interesting to watch him get weaker and weaker throughout the later end of the journey. 
Yeah, it had to do with the the system they would use to to pee on the the capsule. Um, and he got some kind of a urinary tract infection from that, which makes the joke about him getting the clap from Swigert funny, like even funnier. <laughs> um, but I, I like Bill Paxson, and I think that he fit the role really well um, because the, he has a really good chemistry with Tom Hanks too. I feel like like they played off of each other well, and you could you could tell they gave that impression of like being good friends, which you know a crew like that would be because you'd spend so much time together. Right, and you also get to see their wives interacting uh, mm-hmm. back on Earth, uh, which is interesting to see because uh, his his wife, who's pregnant, is is going to Jim's wife and is like, "How do you do this? Like all the time, so yeah. stressful." I we'll get to them because I can't imagine that at all, um, at all. Uh, so you got we mentioned uh, Ken Mattingly, Gary Sinise, um, and Phil. Phil mentioned uh, that his character is just tragic, and it really is to to get that close to being able to go on this mission and then have it scrubbed. So there's that scene where he's sitting at home, and it's like the night that everything goes wrong, and just before the news story comes up, he gets up, takes the phone off the hook, shuts the TV off, and just walks away. And it's right. like he he doesn't want to watch it because it's his dream going to someone else. Yep. And I totally get that. And I totally get him just being like, nope, don't want to hear a damn thing. I am checking out for the night. And uh and for him to get woke up the next morning by, by the NASA guys just coming right into his apartment, right into his bedroom, like, come on, man, get up. We need you. Um, and he, you know, to his credit, uh, uh just snaps right into him and is like, All right, we're gonna figure this out. And he would not rest until they figured that out. And it's such this is um, just like I was saying, this is kind of at the peak of Tom Hanks and his powers and sort of um, almost like right in his wheelhouse. This was coming off of Forrest Gump, which was the breakout role of Lieutenant Dan for Gary Sinise. Um, so for him to come off the heels of that right into this movie, I think was great for him. Um, and it's such a good character for him to play. Uh, it's And he gives it this... Um, this kind of stoic uh, heartbreak, right? Because you can tell it's tearing him up inside. And yet he plays it so stoically and exactly the way that, that would you would have to if you were that person in that situation. Right. He, he has like that quick outburst uh, when Jim tells him that it yeah. was his call to make. Uh, and then uh, I think the most heartbreaking uh, shot is when he's watching the rocket launch just from his car mm-hmm. uh oh. and then he has to overcome that and overcome that grudge and actually help them uh just like i think it's one of the biggest character arcs in this yeah. going from oh i i hate that you're leaving without me to let me save you save your life yeah and you think about the fact that that's there's so he gets booted off the mission two days before launch and the mission was a total of seven days, right? And it wasn't until like day three that problems started because they were most of the way or they were part way there. Um, mm-hmm. So he had like five days of being extremely upset and stewing with this before suddenly he had to be there to help bring these men back. And 
he just jumped right to the call like it was nothing and like i'm i'm gonna make sure they get home and i will do everything i can to make that happen um eh, such a you're you're right it, it is a great arc and it's a great performance gary sinise just just knocks it out of the park in this he really does um then we get like uh so that's the the astronauts that's our four main astronauts um but then there's all the people at mission control um Starting with Ed Harris as Gene Krantz, um, who has that great, uh, I love the vest that he wears and how they make like a big deal out of that thing, which apparently the the actual vest um, is in, I think it's the Smithsonian. And they said that a lot of the reason for that is because of how popular it was from the movie. Um, really? Yeah. Because it was a real thing um, that happened. Uh, again, the, like this movie's authentic. The, the stuff that happened in this movie happened, you know, with, with some small caveats, like little technical details. Like when the when the rocket takes off um, and you see that shot overhead and all like the, the arms are swinging away kind of one by one, um, those would have all swung away kind of simultaneously. But whatever, like that's a tiny, I mean, you're it's talking. It's a build up, you know. Yeah. Give and like an artistic license there. Right. It looks so much cooler the way they did it in the movie. And it's more dramatic that way. Uh, but that's like nitpicking for the sake of nitpicking. But like Gene Krantz is such an interesting character in the fact that he is, he does not at any point give up the hope they are going to bring these guys back. We have not lost anybody yet. We're not going to now. And he was. No, he won't even give the president uh, <laughs> like odds of their survival. He's just like, nope, we are working on it and we're going to get them home. Yep. Yeah, and uh, they just totally, I mean, he just 100% like, we're going to make this happen, and I don't care how we do it, make it happen. And he he commands that room, and all of those men, like, it's perfect the way he, he's able to get people on task quickly um, and keep them on task without ever seeming like, a, like an overbearing blowhard or, like, he never goes over the top, right? He's just laser-focused. So, right. And I, I think love- it helps that you understand the situation and the stress that he's under. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he does it in almost a kind hearted way. Like you got to do this. Yep, exactly. Um, and Ed Harris is uh, just amazing. Like he's, he's got such a good presence on screen and then an intensity. Um that uh that he brought to this plus he's got a, a very commanding voice and i i again it's, this movie's full of those actors that i just love seeing and stuff and ed harris is one of them and uh yeah he was great as gene Kranz in this um let's see you got kathleen quinlan was marilyn lovell um and uh jim's wife and she was really good and, her whole storyline uh really all the family and I mean, they're not doing much. They're just sitting at home watching. But mm-hmm. that's what gives the stakes. And you feel the emotion every time she's on screen uh, when she's dealing with the family and they're all huddled around the TV or when she's just by herself listening to the radio as things go wrong. It's it's really sad. Yeah, it's uh, it's an emotional arc. She goes through a lot. Like, as at the beginning of it, 
she's excited for him to get to go to the moon, but then she doesn't want to go to the launch because she she has that uh, nightmare um, about mm-hmm. uh, problem happening, which according to uh, Marilyn Lovell, she had that nightmare because there was a movie that had come out in 1969 that was um, after the moon landing or around the time of the moon landing. Um, there was a movie that came out that dealt with a uh, mission to the moon and a, and a problem. And so she had, Jim had taken her to that as a date night movie. And after seeing it, she had that nightmare. And so that was real. Um, so then she's like, I don't, I don't want to go, but she's not telling him, like, she's not giving him this whole, I've got a bad feeling about your mission, which I'm glad that she didn't do. And I feel like they could have, they could have made that into more of a, a dramatic melodrama, melodramatic kind of relationship to have her like not want him to go and all that. And I'm really glad they didn't go that route. Right. Because it, well, I feel like she definitely doesn't want him to go, but she knows there's no stopping him. Uh, true. And you can kind of see that on her face when, uh, when she's telling him that she doesn't want to go to the launch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're, you're not far off there. Um, also the, the wedding ring thing, which, uh, some people thought was too like manufactured and forced really happened. She actually did drop her wedding ring. Um, Oh, I thought it was just like some symbolism they threw in there. Yeah, it's what it feels like, doesn't it? But apparently, no, that was a real thing that happened. She did get it back. She was able to fish it out. Um, but she did actually drop her wedding ring down the drain um, at one point. Uh, so I thought, because I, I thought the same thing, especially even watching it this time. I'm like, oh, that's, you know, it's it's good art. It's good symbolism to throw that in there. But no, that was a real deal. Um, uh, can I talk real quick about Apollo one and how they touched on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cause I, I just thought it was so brilliant. Um, I feel like a lot of space stories shy away from that, but this movie opens with that tragedy. Um, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a thread throughout. Uh, like I love when Jim is talking to his son, oh, explaining the mission, explaining what he's going to do. And his son's like, is there going to be a fire? I heard about a fire. Um, and then later, when they have to tell him that something went wrong with his dad's mission, he goes, is it the door? Yeah. Like, that broke my heart. That oh, was really tragic. That was that kid, by the way, Miko Hughes, um, who did a lot of work right around that age. Um, he was really good. And it did. It broke my heart, too. The way he the way he would deliver those lines. He had been in Kindergarten Cop. He was Gage in the uh, 1989 Pet Cemetery. Um, he was in Mercury Rising with Bruce Willis. Like he did, did a lot right around that era at that age, and that kid could bring some emotion. Um, when he asked if it was the door, I was like, "Oh, come on, that hurts." So yeah, I liked I liked him quite a bit, and yeah, I'm really glad that they touched on that. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm also glad that you brought that up. That's a that's a great one because I probably would have forgotten to mention anything about Apollo One. Well, I mean, I feel like at the time of the the space race and all of these early Apollo missions, that was on everyone's mind because they had all heard about that, watched it happen. Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely was. I mean, the it's hard 
it's hard to think about it now because it's not such a big thing, but like this was an era where every space launch was a, especially up until Apollo 11 was like appointment viewing. Everybody stopped what they were doing. All the networks showed it. Um, and, uh, and you sat down and watched like that whole watch party thing, um, was not just Apollo 11. That was all of the space launches. So for them to not televise, um, stuff, uh, initially, um, which is why, you know, Marilyn has that whole, like, I loved her reactions to when they are doing the broadcast from the ship and they find out partway through that it's not on air anywhere that none of the stations are carrying it and it's the first time that's happened. And there's the, the NASA like public relations guys trying to talk to her about it. And she's like, well, why aren't they showing it? And he's like, it's, it's not, it's not newsworthy. Um, but then, you know, a day later when all the news crews are out on her front lawn because there's a problem, suddenly it's newsworthy. And she's like, no, they can get off my lawn. They can't be here. And I did, I wouldn't blame her for that reaction at all. Like that seemed right. completely genuine. I- in the beginning of the movie, uh, when he's doing like the tour at NASA, the I believe it's the Texas senator, or governor, or someone uh, in government is like, well, he mentions Apollo fourteen, and he's like, well, if there is an Apollo fourteen, right, you know, because we've already been to space, why am I still funding this? Mm-hmm. As if like people are already moving on when Neil Armstrong just walked on the moon. Yeah. By the way, that senator was played by Roger Corman, um, which made me laugh a lot that they got a cameo from Roger Corman playing a senator who doesn't want to spend money on the space program anymore. Because Roger Roger Corman would spend the least amount of money possible to make a movie. So it's like perfect to have him be that guy. Uh, and I don't know if that was a purposeful, like, let's get Roger Corman for this and have it be him or not. Um, but I loved that that was the case. Uh, so the fun yeah. cameo. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, there was a couple of fun cameos in this before we get too far in. I got to mention this movie was directed by Ron Howard. So of course his brother, Clint Howard is going to be in it. He was one of the e-com, um, uh, e-com white Cy, the, the one with the big glasses and balding. That was Clint Howard, but also Ron Howard's parents rants and, um, Rance Howard was the uh, the um, priest that was watching the final news thing with her where he's sitting on the couch. He doesn't have any lines of dialogue, but that's the director's dad. And the director's mother played Jim Lovell's mom, the one in the um, retirement home. Oh, wow. And she was really good. Yeah, she was. And that was Ron Howard's mom um, who, oh, I'm, I'm missing her name right off the top of my head. Uh, somebody I had up. it a second ago. Uh, Jean Spiegel, if I'm pronouncing that right. Jean Spiegel Howard. There you go. Jean Spiegel Howard. Yep. And uh, she was I, great. I did recognize his brother. Um, not as his brother, but I recognized him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh. I, because my dad was in the room, I asked him, who is that? And uh, he told me that that's Ron Howard's brother and he's in almost every ron howard movie which is how i recognized him even though i had no idea who he was yep 
yeah, I uh, he he shows up in every Ron Howard movie. He's done you know some other stuff too. Um, famously, he was on an episode of the original Star Trek uh, when he was just a child, very very young. Um, but yeah, Clint Howard is great. He's got a very unique look, um, and he's awesome. So, but it was cool to see both because I've seen Rance Howard pop up in some Ron Howard movies too. But I, I this is the first time I can consciously remember seeing his mom anywhere, and she has one of the great lines in the movie too um when she's uh which i did capture i will play a little bit later um but it was great uh clint howard did have a uh, a really good ad-libbed line um that if i don't mention it i will forget because i didn't capture it it's when they're doing their broadcast and jack swigert says uh oh by the way uh irs i'm sorry i forgot to file my 1040 return um and uh Cy, responds with like oh no that's serious they'll nail him for that that was ad-libbed by clint howard because apparently he had some tax problems at one point like not paying his taxes or or not filing his taxes or something so i that that made me laugh that line was delivered so well yeah i thought i thought all the tax jokes in there were really funny because they (laughs) come back to it at a certain point yeah yep um so yeah uh let's see so kathleen so marilyn lovell like Again, just coming back to that, she was Kathleen Quinlan was amazing in that role because of all the emotion she had, but she had to try and stay strong for her kids too. Meanwhile, she's falling apart inside, uh, worried that her husband's not coming home. Um, and then for her to like show up at the launch and be there for that, because that's one thing. Unless you're paying attention and reading the the little subtitles that pop up occasionally, you don't think about the fact that they live in Houston, Texas, but the launch was happening in Florida. Right, so she had to fly out there. Yeah. Yeah. He flew out two days earlier and she had to leave and fly out there, uh, to be at that launch. So that's like, that was a bigger moment than you would think of. And they almost downplayed in the movie the way that it happens. Um, I, I really like how they did it though. Uh, how she just shows up and, uh, they kind of have a funny little moment joking like, uh, I can't remember the exact lines, but, oh, who told you you could be here? Something of the other. Just like, uh, almost like they know how serious the moment is, but they're trying to reassure each oh, other yeah. and they have this this language between them. Mm-hmm. Yo, th- there's, you can tell how strong that relationship is between Jim and Marilyn by the way that they can banter in that moment with his important and emotional a moment as it is. Um, and with how much tent, like the tension you could feel in that scene where she tells him she doesn't want to go to the launch when they're driving. Um, yep. Is it's, there's so like the tension you could cut with a knife and yet neither one of them blows up. It doesn't become this big melodrama that I loved the downplay of that because that felt like, no, I, she, again, she knows she's not changing his mind about going and he knows he's not changing her mind about not going to the launch. Like he just knows that, but at the same time, like they have to kind of not so much push down the emotion, but they can't let it out, uh, at that time. Like it's not the right time for it. At some point they can have that conversation again, but you know, it's just not, not the place for it. So then for her to show up a couple of days later and 
they can have the the kind of interaction that they did. I loved. I thought that was great, and that really shows the the strength of their their bond and their relationship. Um, how many did you recognize any of the other actors in that uh, Mission Control? Kind of all those side characters. Um, did any of them stand out to you as you know you've seen them in other movies? I mean, you've seen enough movies. I'm sure you recognize at least a couple of them. I mean, the one I did notice was uh, Cam from Modern Family being in this, <laughs> uh, which my dad pointed out because I didn't recognize him without doing his uh, his like gay voice. Uh, he had this very deep voice compared to Cam in uh, Modern Family. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was fun seeing him uh, years before he'll be on that show. Yeah. Yeah, there was um, there was him. There was uh, let's see. Oh, there you go, Gene Spiegel Howard. Um, Chris Ellis was Deke Slayton. Um, I've seen him. He's one of he's a character actor. Pops up in a bunch of stuff. Joe Spano, the the NASA director. Um, he, uh, I most know him from uh, NCIS. He played an FBI agent in that uh, recurring character. Um, and he's been in a few other things, but I I always remember him from that. And I love Joe Spano and. Uh, for a very small role, he's just, he's good. Uh, a lot, all these kind of side characters, these guys in that, that room, Xander Berkeley, who was the, um, the PR guy, um, Henry, uh, is a, he, mm -hmm. I remember him from Terminator two. He was the stepdad in that. Um, he's actually, I mean, he's in a lot of stuff. Uh, he was great. Um, who was there? Lauren Dean was John Aaron, who was the e-com guy. He was the one that uh, was working with Gary Sinise later on um, on the electrical issue. Very much concerned with, like, the wattages and all that, yep. right? Yeah, yep. He, I remember, from uh, Enemy of the State, actually. Uh, he had a prominent role in that, and he was – I really liked him in this because he was that – he's that guy that's just like, nope. Nope, we can't, this has to happen, but we don't have what we need. We got to figure it out. And he's just to bring that up because no one else was thinking about that part of it at the time as they're trying to come up with their plan. And he's like, I've been going over the numbers. This is what's got to happen. Um, it's all numbers and numbers won't change no matter how upsetting it is to you. And he's like, no, you got to stick with it. Yeah. Yep. Um, oh, where is the one? There was somebody else who... He was like he wasn't the flight controller, but he he was sitting up towards the front of the room. He had kind of a big nose. He was in Oh Brother Where Art Thou, is what I remember him from. Um, let me see if I can find him again. Because uh, I know I know him from that, but he's been in a bunch of other stuff too. And I don't know why I can't think of his name now. Uh, I mean, there was Brett Cullen who was Capcom One. He was the one that. Um, did a lot of the uh, vocal interactions with the um, uh, astronauts. Ray McKinnon. That's it. Thank you, Phil. Ray McKinnon. Um, he was, he's great. He was uh, Vernon T. Waldrip in um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Which I always remember him from because he's got the, he's just, there's something about, but he's great. He's another one who is these character actors that show up in a bunch of stuff. And there's a lot of them in these backgrounds uh, at the Mission Control. So I, I wanted to mention him. Thank you, Phil, for that. Um, and uh, 
I also want to talk a bit about the technical aspects of making this movie because the performances are great across the board. Everybody nails it. Um, and they all look the part. Um, but as far as making this movie, they made it look good. If I had told you this movie was made five years ago, would you believe it? Because this movie was made no. t- almost 30 years ago. Um, I mean, the, the CGI and the effects, I, I, I could kind of see that uh, being a more recent movie. I I had no idea. Um, this whole time when I was watching it, I thought, are they in harnesses when they're in the, the capsule uh, and maybe they just remove it later? Uh, but then I found out later they're using... Uh, what is it called? Uh, the Vomit Comet. The Vomit Comet. Thank you. Yes. Yep. Yeah. They. Uh, it's a KC-135 that NASA had. So all of the weightless stuff is either simulating it with like, uh, they'd have like a seesaw type thing they could sit on and kind of bounce up and down and move around for some of the shots. But they had something around, say, 54 minutes of footage that they were able to get. Um, 23 seconds at a time using the vomit comet to be weightless. So all of that is real weightlessness that they were able to pull. That's off. crazy. Cause <laughs> I mean, the amount of time that it'll take to get all of those shots, because you can only be in that kind of falling fake, uh, zero gravity for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. it's expensive. So to do that, I mean, they must've been, working at it for weeks that's a so that's a heavy feat they had 13 days of of flights uh at roughly 20 to 23 seconds a time they did 612 parabolic arcs in order to get that footage for the movie um and uh kevin bacon bill paxton and tom hanks all famously were like yep never threw up once uh Cameraman. I was just going to say, was that throw up scene real then? Because uh, I would not blame you if you're going up and down, up and down, up and down over 600 times. Yeah. Apparently cameramen and crewmen uh, that were involved had some trouble, but the three main actors did not. Um, I can't imagine doing that. That's just crazy to to do that much work. But you know what, though? Worth it. Worth every second of it because this movie still oh, yeah. looks amazing. Um, and honestly, I would love a chance to be in the vomit comet. Uh, so to, to portray an astronaut and to experience the feeling of zero gravity, that's insane. Yeah, that really is cool. Yeah. And it's a great way to, and it it had never been used, uh, in a film before. This was the first film that really used that. Um, and they, you know, they made a deal with NASA and NASA allowed them to, to do it. And um, the plane they used actually ended up being decommissioned shortly after um, the particular plane that they used was decommissioned shortly after uh, making of this movie. But yeah, that it's just such a such a good way to do it, and it it gives this movie uh, a realism that you don't get if you're wearing a harness and moving around on a on a screen, right? You just you can't fully reproduce that. You can get close. But there's something about the way you move when you're truly weightless and the way they could, you know, grab something and move through that little kind of hatchway between uh, the lem and the capsule um, Mm -hmm. that just just works. And so I loved that. 
Yeah, when there's a harness, I, sometimes it's hard to tell. Gravity does it really well. Uh, but mm-hmm. something like me and my dad watched Passengers recently. And okay. you can tell in a lot of shots, like, oh, you're the way your torso is super tense, like you're in a harness. Yeah. You can just tell. Yeah, I mean, you can you can fake it only so much before, you know, reality is just going to set in. And to be able to be truly weightless for the majority of the stuff that you need to, and then, then be able to... What it also does is it makes the stuff that you're faking for it, like the, the little seesaw and kind of, you know, doing a lot of close-ups and having them strapped in at certain points it makes that work even better because now you've seen, you've seen the actual people being weightless in front of you. So then if you have a shot from a different angle and they're kind of bobbing up and down and moving around a little bit, your brain just going to fill in the blanks and say, yeah, that guy's floating because he's weightless, not sitting on a seesaw. It's it's believable. Yeah. It adds to that so much and it makes it work even years and years later. It ages very well. Um, So I really, really appreciated all of that. There was also um, the fact that that command center, the mission control that they had, was an exact replica of the real mission control in Houston. Um, originally, they wanted to shoot in that room, and NASA was going to allow it, but they found out, they, they realized that the room itself was a little too small to fit all the camera equipment that they wanted and sound equipment and everybody. So they just built it to scale on a set. Um, and so Just slightly bigger, but like... An exact replica? Basically, they could build the exact replica, but not have to put your sidewalls on it so that they could have more room to move your cameras around, out, out, you know, in and out of it. Um, and uh, so they did that. And one of the trivia bits I did read was that the technical advisor who had worked in Mission Control uh, one day actually left the set looking for the elevator because Mission Control was on like the third floor of whatever building it was in. That's how real it was to him. He had been in there all day, and he just instinctively went looking for the elevator, and it wasn't You're there. So disoriented. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine if you if you spent your life working in that room, and now you're on a set that looks exactly like it, that would mess with your head a little bit. For um, sure. So, but I love that too because all like the computers and everything, you know, everything looks authentic, and so it gives it again that realism, that uh, that attention to detail to put it in that era, to have... Um, that's why period pieces can be so much more expensive to film, right? Because you got to take everything and make it look like the period that you're doing it in. In this case, they were 25 years prior when they were making this. So it's not as big a difference, but it's still... It would be like shooting a movie today, but having everything set in the year 98, 99, 2000. It's not going to be exactly like it looks today. The architecture, the design... The interior decorations all going to be different, and so and and you're mimicking a real world place where a lot of people work. I mean, you even got to pay for like the experts who are going to like fact check mm-hmm. all of your little set design stuff. Uh, that can be very expensive. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But again, like spending the money to have your people go through the vomit comet, it gives you uh, authenticity and a longevity of the that authenticity and it makes it look good 30 years later 27 years later whatever it is um 
So I really, really appreciated that. Even like all the costuming is great. All the, everything that everybody's wearing. Um, the only thing they couldn't get completely accurate, and this isn't their fault, uh, <laughs> but this was another trivia piece. And, and I noticed it in the movie and I, and I'm wondering if, if anyone else noticed this was they don't have a lot of like melodrama, but the one daughter is always complaining about stuff and, and, you know, at loggerheads with her mom, the oldest daughter. And at the beginning of the movie, when she's complaining about the Beatles breaking up and how much she hates Paul, and then you go into her room and she's listening to Jimi Hendrix, which made me laugh, but it was because the Beatles didn't let their music be used in movies at the time. So they couldn't, they literally couldn't use the Beatles. So they just picked another, you know, another song from that era. But I love that. She's complaining about the Beatles and Paul McCartney, but while she's listening to Jimi Hendrix. Um, and uh, 69, that, that was the year that... Uh... The Beatles broke up? Uh, 69, 70, right around there, yeah. Yep. Because okay, I, I didn't know uh, they were together that long, to be honest. Not that I'm the biggest Beatles expert, but uh, yeah. No, but at the same time, like it was less than a decade that they were a band, uh, which is crazy to think about, um, that they were putting albums out for less than 10 years, and yet they put out a good number of albums, a lot of songs, and just the cultural touchstones that they were. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I got a kick out of that. I'm like, why is she listening to Hendrix? And you'd think she'd be lamenting and listening to the Beatles, but yeah, that's right. You can't, you can't play the Beatles. They won't let you. Uh, I think they do now, although it's still really expensive. Um, you know, maybe she's just so fed up with the Beatles. She's going <laughs> to put on someone else. There you go. That's probably it. Um, yeah, I just I, I loved I loved that he drove the Corvette um, because there was something with I think it was either a specific dealership or Chevy in general where they would give um, the astronauts cars, and so I don't uh, I think Jim Lovell actually had a Corvette at one time, um, but I love that that's what he drove because that that feels like an astronaut's car driving like a, See, a I, nice I, I saw that and i just thought oh wow that's i mean astronauts are well paid so he has a really nice sports car that makes sense yeah. but it also makes sense that they would sponsor astronauts who are on the news daily during that time mm-hmm. um okay so one of my favorite moments in this movie is uh when they are they they have that moment of realization that the CO two scrubbers on the lem and the capsule are different, and it, it's great for two reasons. One is because first there's the realization of it, and he's like, "Yeah, we have they're they're square on one and they're round on the other." And uh, it's Ed Crant, it's uh, Krantz, um Ed Harris, Gene Krantz is like, "Tell me this isn't a government job? Come on." Like such a such no a great one thought reaction. of this before, right? Exactly. And then he gets all the engineers into the room, and the guy's like, "All right, here's what we got. We need to make this fit into this using only that. Let's go." And they just have to make it work. It's such a a cool scene, and then they do. They make it work with the parts that they've got in front of them. But that moment, like, can you imagine being one of the guys in that room? The pressure. You would like this whole movie and this whole story is nothing but like stress and pressure. I was getting stressed out watching it this time around. I can't imagine. Oh, yeah, the tension it. is real in every scene. 
And it's incredible because this is a story that doesn't have like, there's not some big climactic, it's not a battle, there's not a hero's journey, none of that, but there's so much tension throughout this movie. Whether or not you know the real story of what happens, like the way they built up all of that is so well done um, for what is essentially a bunch of guys in a room talking for most of the movie. That's that's kind of the action of the movie, right? You don't have big set pieces of like car chases and explosions and leaping off of buildings. It's just people in rooms talking and uh, and three guys on a, in a tin can floating through space. But they managed to make it just suspense and tension the whole time. And I, I mean, that's really what uh, space travel and engineering is all about is like solving problems that you didn't even think needed to be solved. It reminds me a lot of The Martian, yeah, which is written by a NASA scientist who, you know, it's based off these events pretty much. Uh, so this is real life Martian. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the probably the most amazing thing about this movie is that all of this happened. Um, which, during test screenings, the, the first test screening, they, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with how test screenings work, but essentially they get, get people in for free. They have them come and watch the movie and then fill out a little card afterwards and give their thoughts on the movie. And, right, like beta readers. Yeah. And they had mostly positive reviews, but a few people were like, um, what was it? In an interview, Ron Howard revealed that some critics blasted the way what they perceived as a hokey Hollywood moment in the picture. Oh, that's the the ring uh, falling, the hokey Hollywood moment of the Maryland's wedding ring falling down the drain. Um, uh, I read somewhere else where people, one of the things that people said was they didn't believe that, uh, that they would have survived that mission. Because like the person that was watching the movie didn't realize it was based on a real, actual NASA mission. Right. They just thought, oh, this is so unrealistic. Uh, they'd all survive. Yeah, that they'd all survive, that all that would happen. And it's like, uh, no, it's uh, it really did happen. And it shows, you mentioned it at top of the show, like these astronauts are trained for these types of situations and how to react to them. And that's how they react in this movie, everything feels like real, you know, with that amount of training, how you would be able to get through it. Because there is those, those moments where they haven't gotten the reentry plan yet. And they're getting a little bit, they're just starting to skirt on the edge of like, I'm going to freak out here pretty soon if we don't start getting some info. Um, but they never go over that line. And so I really enjoyed that. And I really liked that they, uh, from everything that everybody I have read about has said is like, there's very little kind of artistic license taken, um, in the events that happened. It's almost all exactly what happened and how it happened because they had other people to talk to about it. Which is amazing. And, uh, to speak to the realism, uh, there's one little like scene that I love where, uh, I think it's the pilot says we're not at the right angle for reentry. We're not, and we don't have enough power to make it. And, uh, and then he says, and they know that. And if they knew that they wouldn't tell us. Mm-hmm. And oh. it's one of those things like a hundred percent. It's not going to benefit you to know that your mission's doomed. 
Right. So if if something's going wrong, they're not going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how scary of thought is that? That you're you're hurtling towards Earth and and you have the realization that no, we're just going to skip off the atmosphere and just go off into space. Like, oh man, I can't. There's so so many times watching this where I was just like, I can't imagine being in that situation. I can't imagine being Marilyn Lovell, being the spouse of an astronaut, like being the spouse of a soldier or somebody that gets deployed in the military. Uh, I've talked to quite a few of them, and I just can't imagine being that because it would just, you know, eat at you to not know what's going on. Now take that and put that person off the planet. Like they're not... Not only are they in a different area, they're like not even on the planet with you. And then to find out that, oh, something's gone wrong, and immediately you're getting the PR shtick or spiel from uh, from NASA while the news is telling you something completely different. And just to go through that, I just, there's so many moments in this. I'm like, I, I would have crumbled into a pile of goo. Uh, in like, I just couldn't have, I couldn't handle that. I mean, there's so much uncertainty in doing something no one's ever done before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No no one's done it. And here they are doing this. And then to have, you know, problems come up that they couldn't have ever anticipated, yet alone, let alone plan for. And they did, and they made it. They made it work with with literally technology that took up rooms that now fits in our pocket the same level of technology can fit in your pocket now that they use to do all this stuff with and you know finding finding the amps they need to get things back up and running in the sequence they can with the power draw you know so that they can do it it's just it's it's mind-boggling it's amazing that that all that all happened and this all is real which makes the drama i think stronger than anything that could be fictionalized it totally does. Uh, and it reminds me, uh, I just want to plug real quick. There is a TED Talk done by Chris Hadfield, who is a real-life astronaut, yep. about the time that he went blind in space. Uh, and he really talks about the fear and uncertainty and just how you act as an astronaut. And as I was watching this movie, I kept thinking of that TED Talk because it's just it it captures what they're feeling in this movie. It's really incredible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, one other piece uh, I thought was interesting was uh, Ron Howard um, was having lunch with Billy Wilder, uh, another director, um, and said that he was uh, thrilled to learn that Wilder deemed his movie to be Howard's best work as a director because, and I thought I thought this while I was watching it this time, it's such a good movie because the guy who is your main character and the voice of the audience as well doesn't get to realize his dream. Something that he's wanted for so long and he doesn't get it. He gets so close, but he doesn't get there, but he comes home safe anyway. There's something about that that just felt like it just made you feel good at the end of it for some reason, even though it's heartbreaking. It's that kind of, it's that like perseverance. Like he could have given up at any point given that he wasn't going to get to land on the moon. He wasn't going to get the the thing. He, he made it that far, but he's like, no, I'm getting home. And there was just something really cool about that. So 
Yeah, I mean, to for your original goal to be, this is the greatest thing ever, I'm going to achieve the highest dream that I've ever held, uh, that all goes out the window, and your new goal is, please let me survive this thing. I yeah. So it's a loss and a victory, and in a really weird mix of emotions. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember reading uh, a quote from Jim Lovell who said that they classified it as a successful failure was that mission. Um, and that's the perfect way to put it. Apollo 13 was a successful failure. Everything went wrong and it should have uh, not turned out the way that it did, but they, they pulled it out. They, and, and it's a total team effort. And that's the other thing this movie does so well is that, it shows that all of this took everyone in that room and everyone on that spacecraft and everyone at NASA to make it happen. There wasn't one person that pulled it out. You don't get it without, um, uh, you know, without Jim Lovell, without Fred, without Swigert, without Ken, but you also have to have Gene Krantz. You got to have, uh, the guy, John, um, you know, from ecom you got to have everybody doing their thing the guys that figured out how to make that adapter for the co2 scrubbers or they the capsule fills up with co2 and they never have a chance to make re-entry like all of that and that is so great that there was not one person uh it was all of them i so, mean it even takes like the the people with no lines who are checking math and yep. triple checking everything like Everyone at NASA worked together to do this. Uh, so they're all the heroes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the movie does a great job of, you know, kind of not trying. It doesn't glorify any one or two or three people. It's all of them. And that's that's what's so cool about that. Um, and there's a line early on from uh, from Jim in the movie uh, from Tom Hanks talking about uh, like, it takes everybody. Everybody's a part of it, uh, right down to the guy, the janitor sweeping the floors, right? Um, and that, you know, they're all proud of what they did, and they're all part of it. And that's kind of the message of the movie at the end of it is like they're all part of it. Um, so I, I just I love that. I really I really enjoy this movie. I'm glad you finally got to see it. Especially I did not know that you were a big space nerd um, and kind of into oh, space and shuttle stuff. So the fact that you finally got to see this. In the movies that you have seen about the space program and about kind of space travel and going to the moon and stuff, where does this kind of sit for you um, on those? I mean, and, and you can include things like The Martian and, you know, fictional stuff as well. That's really tricky uh, because most of most of the movies about space that I've seen are fictional. Uh, I I learned a lot about the Apollo missions all the Saturn rockets, um, all the early space travel stuff through like late night Wikipedia uh, <laughs> and like uh, just little mini documentaries. I, I do actually like documentaries, uh, mm -hmm. but I, I, I'd have to say this falls um, in line with like hidden figures, which is another amazing real life, true story. Um, it's, it's like, way up there at the top uh just the fact that it is a real story elevates it so much more and the fact that it's told well uh and 
it really hammers in those emotions. Uh, there's nothing like it. Uh, so I'm I'm so glad I saw this movie, and I'm kicking myself because <laughs> why didn't I watch it sooner? Well, what is wrong with me? I mean, in your defense, like you said, it was before your time, and if you don't have somebody kind of mentioning, like, "Hey, you should see this." Hey, uh, have you ever seen the right stuff? I've not seen the right stuff. That's another one that you need to see if you like space space travel. It's got John, you know, it's about John Glenn and some of those folks. Um, okay, and uh, that's a really good one. I also think. Um, as far as like fictionalized ones go, Space Cowboys would be a fun one to watch if you haven't seen that yet. Uh, that's kind of uh, we actually reviewed that on the picture show. Oh, there you go. Uh, wait, oh no, I'm think I'm sorry, I'm thinking of the Farmer's Astronaut. That's oh. a very different movie. <laughs> um, no, Space Cowboys is uh, is kind of if I remember, and it's been a while since I've seen either one, but if I remember, Space Cowboys is sort of. Um, if the right stuff was, uh, was a bunch of, uh, older guys. Um, but space Cowboys is fun. Uh, right stuff is fun. Um, they're, they're really good movies, especially if you're into that kind of NASA shuttle program, um, type stuff. So I, I recommend those as well. Um, but I'm, I'm so glad you got to see this. The, I had forgotten how much, how good this was. I remember I've watched it a few times, but it, it's been, years probably 15 years at least since i've seen it um if not longer and so i'd forgotten like how good it was how how kind of uplifting and it's a pg movie too so it's it's a nice one that you can watch with anybody you don't have to feel like like you can't show this to somebody because they may not like the humor that's in it or something you know sometimes even really good movies it's like eh, but i still i know people that wouldn't be able to handle that like there's not there's nothing of that here it's very accessible Right. Uh, I, I think the one thing is there's a there's a shower suggestive scene uh, that if I was showing this to maybe like a high school class, I'd have to like, let's just skip a few seconds here. Uh, oh, yeah, Jack. But yeah, this is a pretty uh, family friendly. Uh, anyone can watch this kind of movie. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to ask you, though, where does this rank in the world of Tom Hanks for you? So for me and Tom Hanks, this is up there as a very good Tom Hanks movie. Although I would say that I nowadays I put this above Forrest Gump. I think that this is aged much better than Forrest Gump. I still like Gump, um, but there's something about the way this movie and this story has aged. I think Ron, I really like Ron Howard movies, but I also like Tom Hanks in, I'm not as much into his rom-coms as I am more of his like goofy comedies. So stuff like um, uh, the burbs for me, uh, I would put above um, big or uh, volunteers. I would put above, um, you know, like you've got mail, but when it comes to his dramas, uh, this is right up there for me with like Castaway, um, mm -hmm. and uh, um, what was the one I just watched? Uh, News of the World. I just recently watched. It was a new one from like a year or two ago. It was surprisingly good, um, better than I thought it would be. So, I I would rank this one fairly high. I would put this up there with um, for me with that thing you do. Um, and uh, this movie, Forrest Gump, I think is up there, but I, I, I notched this a little bit higher than that. I also, um, just from Ron Howard movies, 
Uh, if you're not familiar with him as a director, I mean, he is, he has done a lot. Um, as a director, he's got 47 credits and I haven't seen a lot of his more recent stuff except for Solo, a Star Wars story. That was Ron Howard. Um, but uh, this would have been around the era of Backdraft is one of his I really like. Um, actually, Ransom is a very good movie. Uh, oh, I forgot some of these he did. Cinderella Man, The Missing. Damn. Um, he did Splash? Uh, yeah, That's... Cocoon, Splash. That's funny uh, to me. Willow. Willow is one of his I really like. Um, I will oh, always, yeah, that's a great one. Always enjoy Willow. Um, but, yeah, he uh, he has this. Um, he, Ron Howard, to me, feels like he fits in the same sort of arena as a Steven Spielberg. He's that kind of a director where he can make very accessible movies. Um, and... And I enjoy that. And not all of them are perfect, uh, obviously, but then no director is. Um, but even like the Da Vinci Code for what it is, is fine. It's, you know, it's kind of dumb um, conspiracy theory. The story is silly, but it's enjoyable. And he makes entertaining movies. Um, and then he can do something like Frost Nixon, which is, you know, that's a, that's a hell of a movie. Um, so I, I like Ron Howard. This is one of my favorite Ron Howard movies. And it's just a shame that I, I spent so much time not watching it. I don't it's it's one that I feel like I ought to watch more often. So I think that's fair. But yeah, um I did capture a few clips that I kinda wanna play because there's a couple good moments in this movie that are worth listening to again if you wanna if you wanna hear them with me. Um Oh please. All right. And yes, Kit London is correct. His daughter is an amazing um actor and director, Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, so let's see. This is um, just getting the go no go, uh, which I always loved. Give me a go no go for launch. I, I that's just I just love that terminology. <laughs> so I had to get that. Um, the most famous line in the movie, and one of the most famous quotes from a movie ever. Like you had to have known you knew this quote before you saw the movie. Uh, I'm I'm almost positive, and it is Houston. We have a problem. Um, I, which, I just figured that was always an iconic <laughs> space like thing. I, I didn't know it came from this movie. Yeah. And they slightly, so one of the reasons that they could make this movie so accurate was not only Jim Lovell's book, but they also had transcripts from the mission that they could use. So the way that line goes down, the actual line said at the time in the mission was Houston. We've had a problem. Um, they changed it to we have a problem just to that's one of the few artistic license things just to make it a little more like immediate threat, immediate danger um, instead of we've had a problem kind of gives it that past tense. But I like how it happened in the movie the way it happened in the mission, which is Swigert said it first, but in the mission transcript, he was a little bit garbled. So then Houston has them. uh you know, say again, and that's when you get that iconic line from Tom Hanks, and everybody knows it. And you're right; like, if you haven't seen this movie before, you just think this is like standard spacefarer, uh, you know, NASA speak of Houston. We have a problem, and that's that's where it came from. Is this movie? Um, this is Ed Harris, which is awesome uh, as always. But this is Ed Harris talking about losing uh, people on a mission. 
We never lost an American in space. We're sure as hell not going to lose one on my watch. And that, again, that's that like commanding presence that he had without being overbearing. Like he was just like, this is what's going to happen. This is the fact. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. And I love that. And, and that's great. I, I felt the stakes when they said that. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And he did follow it up with failure is not an option, which I guess the actual Gene uh, uh, said that he didn't say that part, but he thought that it fit um, and it made sense in the movie. And it's just it's such a good moment. And that's like at that halfway part point in the movie, too. We're about halfway through this movie and that happens. And you're just like, yep, here we go. Strap in. Um, let's see. This one's called Scrubbers. I don't remember exactly what this was. What about the scrubbers on the command module? They take square cartridges. The ones on the limb are round. <laughs> Tell me this isn't a government operation. <laughs> That's so good because it's so true. Like, you you would almost think that that was something somebody wrote as a joke, but it's real. That's really how it goes down, and that's what makes it even funnier. <laughs> There's square. You got to fit a square or, yeah, square peg in a round hole. Let's go. Um, let's see, uh, single room. Okay. Well, we'll find out. A computer that can fit into a single room. Oh, that's what it was. <laughs> that, that made me chuckle because it's so true, but you think about that now and it's like, that's a weird thing to say. A computer that can fit into a single room, but that was what they had back then. Listen, I can fit a computer into any room. <laughs> now. Yeah. Oh yeah. So capturing that just made uh, made my day hearing that. I'm like, hey, um, here's another one. Is it the door? Oh, is it the door? Damn it, kid. Yep. Oh. Kills me every time. Mm. Um, let's see. Oh, here we go. We got to find a way to make this fit into the hole for this using nothing but that. Oh, so good. Such a That's like the, it. That's your situation. Yep. Do your work. <laughs> Make it happen. And then you hear like as the murmuring starts and everybody's blah, 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 you hear somebody saying, Better put on some coffee, we're gonna need it. It's like, yeah, you are. I I think my favorite part is when uh they're assembling it and the bag rips. Oh they're, they're like, <laughs> Can we duct tape it? And he's like, They have a second bag. That's the last bag. They have a spare. Don't rip that one. Oh, that was so good. Um, and then one last one. I believe this is uh, Jean. Um, uh, uh, Jim Lovell's mom. This was the the line. The moon. <gasps> oh, no. I'm sorry. That was uh, the moon. Huh. I guess I didn't capture her. Um, it was the... Uh, oh, I remember. Okay. That line is from the beginning where he says... Hey, instead of going to Acapulco for Easter, why don't we go to the moon? And it was let's go to the moon. Right? It was it was him saying that, and then their reaction to it too. That that gasp uh, just got me so much. The moon. <gasps> so that was great. Um, Out of context, I, that just seems like they're terrified of the moon. It does. Yeah, exactly. There's something out. There's something out there. What is it? The moon. <gasps> <laughs> I guess I didn't capture it, but the the line that his mother has is, if they can make a washing machine fly, my gym can land it. 
And that was, oh, I love that. That was so good. I did that whole scene um, mm. where where they're just trying to tell her uh, he's he's meant to be on the moon. It, it's meant to be on the TV. And they're like, right, well, uh, something happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then later on when she's at the house and they bring in Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin to sit with her during that to keep her occupied just so like they know somebody's there with her and it's it's Neil and Buzz like that's so great. It is great. And again, and, and then she happened. asks them, "Are you in this pay program too?" <laughs> yeah. She has no idea who they are. I love that. Oh, she was a delight though. Oh, man. Ron Howard's mom playing playing Blanche and uh I I kind of wish I would have caught that now. I'm I'm sad that I didn't capture that, but uh yeah, if they can make a washing machine fly, my Jimmy can land it. And now people uh, have to watch the movie to hear that line. Yeah, they do. And you should. Um, it's not, it's streaming on a few uh, like Fubo TV and those kinds of services, or it's rentable and, and buyable, but it's absolutely worth seeing. If you haven't seen it before, uh, watch it. If you haven't seen it in a long time, watch it again. You'll be surprised how good it is uh, and how much probably even better than you remember it being it is. Cause I remembered it being very good. It was better than I remembered. I'm especially glad that I have it on DVD cause now I can watch it anytime I want. Absolutely. Absolutely. Austin, thank you so much for being here this week. This was great. Uh, thanks been, for having me. I've been meaning to have you back for a while. I had your dad on a little bit ago. Um, and that's always fun, but, uh, you know, it's, it's good to get the young, the young blood in here too. So, uh, now, you mentioned at the top of the show, you you talk movies with your dad all the time. Let people know about that show, where they can find it. Yes, I do. Uh, I am from The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude, and you can look that up. Uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Music, and so many more uh, podcatchers. So if you do a quick search for that, you'll find us. The Picture Show uh, with Austin and Phil Rude. That's right. Excellent. You can also find me on Twitter if you'd like. Um, I'm at Austin N. Rude, and that's R-O-O-D. That's how you spell rude. That is the proper spelling of rude. Correct. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I am on Twitter as well as TV's Travis, TVS Travis, uh, and I love to talk uh, to anybody about uh, movies, TV, comics. Uh, I do a show on Highlander, so if you want to talk to me about uh, Immortals, um, I'm, I'm down for that too. Uh, this show, if you want to catch it live, you can be in the chat room and be like Nisbet, Ace Cat, Kit London, Phil Rude, Danny Orr is in there, Amy, Amy Frost, um, and catch it live Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash tvstravis. Uh, and then uh, it's available as a podcast on Wednesdays at uh, tvstravis.com. Search for weight you haven't seen in any podcatcher. It's going to be there. Um, Searching for it in the podcatchers, I put punctuation and things in there. I didn't make it very uh, search engine optimized because I'm terrible at that. So if you have trouble finding it, go to tvstravis.com. There's links right there to to add it to your favorite podcatcher, finding it on Spotify, Apple, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, It's also uh, available after the fact on YouTube. Um, I am working on getting enough subscriptions to get the vanity URL. Uh, so for right now, you have to search for weight you haven't seen on YouTube, and you can watch you can watch the video, listen to it. Um, it usually goes up about a day later uh, there as well. So um, and if you if you do 
check it out on YouTube and uh, you can throw me a subscription. That helps. That'll help me get to the point where I can have like a vanity URL and it's easier to tell people where to go. Right now, it's just a bunch of numbers and letters and it's it's impossible. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's where you can find this show. Next week, I am beginning Spooky Month. October begins and uh, I'm going to have, uh, just like last year, the uh, the crew from one of my other podcasts, Gore, which is all about horror movies, is coming on, and we're going to talk scary movies all month. So Monica, the Wicked Kitten, uh, Wesley, the Dreadlord, and Faye uh, are coming on, and we're going to talk next week. We're going for a classic, An American Werewolf in London. And uh, we got a couple people that have never seen that before. I can't wait. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. American Werewolf in London. We got a couple more uh, for the rest of this month that I'll I'll uh, be mentioning as we go. Um, that are going to be a lot of fun. Uh, a horror anthology. We've got uh, a horror comedy coming up. Um, so some good stuff. And then the end of the month, I got a real fun one uh, for the end of October. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but next week is American Werewolf in London. I can't wait for that. Have you ever seen that? I have not seen that. So. It's got one of the better werewolf uh, like transit transformation scenes in a movie. This um, is my dad speaks very highly of that movie, and uh, I guess now I have to watch it so I can tune in next week. There you go. See, now you now you've got a, a legitimate excuse to watch it, not just because it's a great movie. Um, Love those. <laughs> yeah. Well, Austin, once again, thank you so much for being here. This has been wonderful. And, uh, definitely anytime you want to come back, um, you know, maybe we'll get you back. We'll watch the right stuff. Sure. I, maybe I'll make a list of space movies. Uh, there you go. I'm, I'm always glad to be on your show. Absolutely. You're welcome back anytime. Um, so until, thank you until next week, an American werewolf in London with the gore crew, this has been wait. You haven't seen, uh, remember to enjoy your movies and be excellent to each other. Thanks. Have a good night. get a washing machine to fly my jimmy could land it diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this program <laughs>